It's been a little while since our last episode of EIU Panthers podcast, but we look to start up that series once again as we visit with recently hired EIU women's soccer coach, Dirk Bennett. Thanks for joining us here on EIU Panthers podcast. I'm your host, Rich Moser. On today's episode, Bennett discusses his long relationship with both the local area, Eastern Illinois, and Panther soccer as he embarks on his first head coaching role at the collegiate level. Along the way, we talk a little soccer and some of the styles of play that currently intrigue him. Yeah, you Panthers podcast are brought to you by Consolidated Communications, which is a proud sponsor of EIU Athletics. Want to learn more about the power of broadband for your home or business? Then visit consolidated.com today. Now on to episode 90 in our EIU Panthers podcast series with EIU women's soccer head coach, Dirk Bennett. And welcome to another edition of EIU Panthers podcast. We haven't done one of these in a while, so we will start our spring series here with our newly hired women's soccer coach, Dirk Bennett. So first of all, congratulations, Dirk, and then thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Rich. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So a lot of these that we do with, with coaches and sometimes athletes is find out a little bit about them and kind of what got them into the sport they're in. I know you grew up as a a local kid, Charleston, born in in Coles County area. So what, I guess, always attracted you to want to come to Eastern? A lot of times kids want to go away, but there was something here that attracted (laughs) you to want to stay. Yeah, it's you know, grew up in the area. My whole family's from originally from Windsor, and then later Charleston. And, and I grew up playing soccer all the way through the, the youth ranks here, um, up through going through Eastern and get my my bachelor's and master's degree. And I think for me, I got into coaching um, when I was still a student. Um, and it was something that you know got the got the itch that never really went away. Um, took some jobs that were you know, after college, obviously that were outside of soccer. And just every time I have uh, a free moment or in between gigs, I would find myself back, you know, at the high school level first, um, just helping out my, my alma mater, boys and girls, and just realized at some point, I kind of joked that I was having a midlife crisis at 25, um, which was maybe that's that's a good thing, right? But at that point, I decided I wanted to coach full time and, and made that commitment. So from then on, I was just trying to figure out what opportunities I could get, and, and you know, had a great opportunity to, to start volunteering at Eastern and hard not to be passionate about the place that gave you so much, you know, as a student and then obviously now as a coach. So. Um, yeah, in that sense, you know, why would I ever leave? Um, especially, you know, a little bit of unfinished business. Want to make sure we take the program as, as high as we can. Um, so that's that's why I stuck around, and obviously, a pretty exciting opportunity now to lead the whole thing. Now, you've been here, as you mentioned, as a student, grew up in the area, assistant coach, now the head coach. Mm-hmm. As an assistant coach, very involved in recruiting. You'll be even more so now as a head coach. One of the the speeches and selling points you always want to do, and coaches are always selling recruits is. You know, why is Eastern great? Why is Coles County, Charleston, Mattoon great? It's different for you because you grew up here. So, I mean, does that maybe you feel like now give you an advantage to hit some of the selling points to moms and dads and say, hey, this is why this is going to be a great place for your daughter, not only because of the soccer, but because of all these other things that we can offer. Yeah, I actually just got asked that very question yesterday with the recruit. And I think that I I do maybe have a little bit of an advantage that um, just having been here for so long. And I mean, I know everything there is to know about this place it feels like sometimes so um yeah I think that the quickest answer I always seem to give um you know someone asked you know is it the facilities is it the competitive level is it this and this I said well first of all it's people and that's again part of the reason why I'm here and Eastern for me is a special place and it's been through a lot ups and downs that I've uh, been on hand to see but the ones that are still here you know like people like yourself like Cindy upstairs people have been here for a very long time you don't do you don't commit to those kinds of, of choices without really having a lot of love for 
who you work with and who you're around, you know, even through the trials and tribulations. So for me, that's that's just always the first selling point is that, you know, you've got our support staff, our, our you know, athletic training and our academic services and you know, yourself, obviously, people that will go the extra mile and be, you know, go outside of their, their job description to make sure the kids feel appreciated and, and valued and they're safe. So for me, that's always number one. And then, you know, obviously, yeah, you has a lot of competitive advantages that we, we do try to sell. But, you know, that that's the starting point. I think that um, when it comes from a place of, of genuineness that I hope I you know, portray for myself, having been here and lived that, then I think that does translate because, yeah, in recruiting, there's a lot of sales pitches going on that, you know, sometimes there's, there's snake oil salesmen out there. And I think that I just want them to feel like it's genuine. You know, here's what EIU is and here's what, what it isn't. And if that scares you away, then best of luck. We really want to help you get somewhere else because to be here and grind and do everything that we're asking the girls to do at EIU, you have to really be comfortable and love the place that you're at. So if we get that done in the recruiting phase, the next four years, it's no surprise when they just grow and grow and grow. Now, for you, as we mentioned, part of the staff here, you started as a volunteer with the, with the men's staff. Um, I think Kiki was the head coach. Kiki Lara mm-hmm. was the head coach at the time. Um, Jake was in a Jake Plant, the women's assist or head coach, who mm-hmm. you later worked <laughs> for, was on the men's staff. Yep. Took over then yep. the women's staff. So you kind of have followed his his path mm-hmm. from there. Now you're a head coach, and I'll, I'll ask you this. I'm not trying to put you on the spot and ever anything <laughs> okay. like that. but And I asked Jake this when we did a podcast with yeah. him last year. is You you become friends with people. You coach with people. Mm-hmm. But then when you're the head coach, do you feel like you now will have to kind of do some things differently to kind of separate yourself as a head coach? Sure. Or is a system kind of in place that, that you can follow and then you just have to kind of tweak? Yeah, it's a good question. And honestly, that was part of the challenge um, in this transitional phase, both in the interview process and then day one. But what's made this challenge a lot easier is that from the very get-go, starting with Kiki, when I was a, a volunteer on the men's side and he was the head coach, one of his first questions he asked me was, you know, do you want me to treat you like a volunteer coach um, or treat you like a full-time professional assistant coach? And obviously I answered uh, to the latter. And so that became sort of the norm. It was like, oh, you're not just going to go out there and pick up cones, even though that sometimes yeah. is the job. Yeah. But, hey, when you're making you accountable coach, let's get you recruiting. Let's make you uh, help you make decisions, uh, involve you in that process. So then when I came over to the ladies' side um, and went full-time in 19 as an assistant for Jake, uh, he asked me the same thing. Do you want me to treat you like an assistant coach or like a head coach or associate, whatever you want to call yeah. that, right? And I answered to the latter again. So with that, I've already been making those kinds of decisions with him. I've been included in those processes, um, even like budgetary things and scholarship amounts, like all the things that most assistants really crave, I was given that opportunity. And with those opportunities, you know, came chances to make mistakes and learn from them too. So the good thing is, you know, the girls, I think, haven't just seen me as, oh, that's just the the good cop and and the nice guy and the best friend. I think that as an assistant, you do get a little leeway there, but there already was a, a lot of respect that they showed me then and have already showed me now. So that transition's been made easier, I think, because of you know, the, the mentors I had there. Um, that said, there is, you know, there's about two months before when they didn't quite have a head coach. I was just trying to steer the ship through that. Um, I told the girls, we're going to make sure if it's me, then you know what you're getting. But if it's not me, um, we're going to keep you as fit as we can, technically as sharp as we can, and just well-minded on and off the field. They did that. And so then when that official decision came through, it was like, hey, let's just keep going. You know, why change anything? Now, for you, do you feel like, and we talked a little bit about this before we started the podcast, Jake kind of prepped you a little bit, and I'm sure that you kind of, you know, 
soaked in like a sponge <laughs> from other people that you've been around your, your, your whole career. And I know you've got a good relationship with the men's coach over there, mm-hmm. Josh Oakley, who you've known for a while through <laughs> your association. Time. Long time. Um, so a, some, a lot of veteran minds there. Mm-hmm. What did you maybe not know that you've learned? And I know it's only been a short time <laughs> as a head coach, but and without putting you on the spot here, but yeah. what is it that you didn't know that you thought you maybe knew, mm-hmm. maybe whether that's taking up more time, something along that that you, like, oh, I didn't realize that's what yeah. a head coach also does, that somebody that somebody else <laughs> always did that. I just right. assumed that it got done. Yeah, I mean, I had a great glimpse into it, obviously, and I'm still learning, still learning what those challenges even are. Um, I think probably the, the number one thing, as we were chatting about just a little bit before we went live here, is just the, the amount of the number of decisions you have to make on a daily basis. As an assistant, you, you know, I was brought into part of that, but you do get shielded from it. And it's so, so little of your day goes into actually the, the soccer stuff, which yeah. is um, not disappointing, but a little surprising. You know, I think that everyone probably thinks we're just up there drawing up X's and O's and playing in practice and lineups and things. And that's certainly a very important yeah. part of it, but in recruiting, of course. But, you know, just the, the phone calls from all hours of the day and texts, hey, coach, I've got class, I'll be a little bit late. Hey, coach, uh, I need to go to the doctor. Hey, coach, can we meet? It's just those, and those are just from the players. Yeah. We're not talking about club coaches and parents and, and yeah. all these other things that, that you do. So for me, it's, you know, I pride myself in my organizational skills, my time management, but that's been pushed to the max, you know, right now, um, waiting to hire an assistant and all that. So right now it's all me. And um, just sometimes I'm like, man, I haven't planned practice yet. And we got about two hours to go. I should really just push pause and all the other things I want to accomplish that day to make sure the team gets taken care of. And because of that, there's a little bit of a backlog, but we're working through it. Two things you touched on there, and we're going to go through them each mm-hmm. one at a time here. Is first of all, talk you don't have an assistant, you were an assistant. Yeah, do you feel like a little bit for you? I know that kind of you have a, a defensive background, you may also have an mm-hmm. offensive mind too, but sometimes soccer has become segmented in yeah. terms of what yeah. coaches do. Sure. Are you looking for in, an, in your next assistant coach mm-hmm. a do they need to be somebody that coaches midfielders forward? Are they a goalkeeper's coach? Or do you want the best available? And as the head coach, you'll adapt mm-hmm. to fit their skill set. Yeah, it's a great question. One I'm still trying to figure out a little bit of myself um, as I put the feelers out there for, for who might be interested. But, you know, for me, I, I feel pretty confident on both sides of the ball or the different segments of the game. Um, goalkeeping is an area of weakness for me that I'm trying to grow in still, to be quite honest with you. I've trained goalkeepers, but I wasn't one. Um, however, we're really lucky right now to have a great goalkeeper coach and, and a volunteer, Mike Novotny, um, who's agreed to stay on. So he, he alleviates the, those stressors for me a little bit. But, you know, with the assistant, the full-time assistant we're looking to hire, for me right now, it's it's maybe the best of both worlds, seeing what the, what's out there um, and trying to complement each other. But number one, I think, has to be just someone that we can trust that's going to take care of the girls and have their best interests in mind, you know, with a good moral compass. For me, that that's it sounds kind of maybe cliched and cheesy, but that is such a good, such an important starting point. For myself in the office, you know, someone I'm going to look across from every single day um, and the girls are going to spend a lot of time with. So from there, you know, I, we, we won't always get, you know, a former head coach with all these years of experience, you know, that, that isn't what we attract. So, you know, there's a lot of growing to do. I, as an assistant coach, had to learn a lot from the ground up. Um, and so I'm willing to, to look at, at people that want those same kind of opportunities. How could I not be open to coaches that want to come and grow and learn? But it is a certain type of person that survives uh, here at this program, and it takes a lot of work. So if you're willing to work hard, good moral compass, and, and you know, good around the girls, then that's a great place to start. Now, the other part is, is recruiting. We, we touched briefly about some mm-hmm. of the sales points you can have as a, a person that's yeah. an Eastern alum growing up in the area. But for you, 
you were intricately involved in recruiting when you were an assistant coach. Mm-hmm. We talked as Jake was making the transition to the other school and you weren't mm-hmm. sure what was going to happen. We have actually have a couple incoming players that we have still yet to release. Mm-hmm. So from a recruiting mm-hmm. standpoint, was your first recruiting calls as the head coach to them to make sure – are they still on board now yep. that you're the head guy? Yeah, no, it's great. I, I think, uh, you know, got the job, called mom, called stepdad, called uh, called Jake, actually some, some best friends. But then right away it was, hey, the class of 2023, who we have committed thus far, let's get on a call. Um, and I think that we got them right before the release went out, yep. so I was able to tell most from the news, which is great. But, you know, it's I think every one of them had probably a different decision to make. I would never guess that they would stay or go based upon whatever. But, you know, when I spoke to them all, they seemed really excited and, and they're still committed. So that was that was an early call and I was happy with the way that went. Um, then right away, I still got lots of prospects I'm trying to add for both 2023 and then now 2024. That recruiting started back in June. So um, we've got a lot of kids that were waiting and now I've, I've told them the news. And I think that we're in the final stages of maybe closing out uh, on another good group of players. Now, as the game has changed more from the college side, on a recruiting standpoint, the types of players that are available, we'll talk style of play here mm-hmm. in just a minute. Transfer portal, that's the, mm-hmm. the, yeah. the evil word, I guess, for coaches, for <laughs> administrators, for people like me that's trying to figure out who's on our roster and who we want to publicize. <laughs> right. But as you said, you have, a, have spots available. We have had some transfers mm-hmm. that have had some success here. Is that as you're now trying to pick up where you guys were and, and go forward, do you maybe pigeonhole a couple kids that become transfer portal type kids mm-hmm. if they're the right fit and you go position by position like hey we yeah. need a goalkeeper or we need a striker right. or we need something like that and then recruit the best freshman class mm-hmm. to fill in around that yeah i think everyone's got their own different sort of take on, on how they see the transfer portal and how often they check it and these different things you know, for us uh, right now in the, the portion of the year that we're in, it's the last semester before for these seniors. Um, and so right now I've got some holes to fill, which means I've got to look and turn over every single stone. Part of that is looking on the transfer portal, um, which is a little bit dry right now because the, the windows that exist mean that it's very, very sparse who goes in there at the moment. And then they're all going to flood in yeah. uh, in the next window in May. But looking at the portal, looking at junior college kids and also looking at you know which high school seniors haven't been. Um, talked to yet, got passed over for this this or that reason, not playing for the right club or they're injured. You know, those are the kind of kids that we, we have to look at now as well as looking overseas a little bit too. A lot of kids that decide they want to play college soccer very late in the recruiting process. So for those immediate kind of needs, I'm looking everywhere. Uh, Portal's a big part of that for sure. And we've we brought kids in. Um, we've got kids that have been um, brought in from the portal, have done really well here. I think that EIU is kind of a place that because of the way we run it, because of the way – you know, the people are here sometimes they'll go to a different school for reason x y or z realize oh, i didn't think about some of those intangible things about how i'm treated or how the coaching you know, is or how we talk to each other and then they look back at eastern and go hey that's somewhere i'm going to be valued as a person and maybe that's what i should really think about more so we've had some success in the portal there but it is kind of a rat race um, everyone's looking at the same kids at the same time we're on the EIU Panthers podcast. We're visiting with newly hired EIU women's soccer coach Dirk Bennett. And, Dirk, one of the things that I kind of ask you about is, and I'd asked Jake about this and I asked Josh about this when mm-hmm. I did him, the men's soccer coach, is style of play. So, mm-hmm. first of all, I guess, is there a a type of style that you – like to watch i mean if you're are you yeah. are you an mls guy are you a premier league guy are you a liga guy are you a, you know a brazilian professional yeah, like right. is there a style 
that you enjoy watching? <laughs> yeah, that's God, good question. I, I think I watch everything I can. That's something to know about me is I'm a soccer rat. I'm a sponge. Um, I don't always have the time to watch the program as much as I want now, but you know, I I've always followed good soccer and good coaches, and so I might get you know me and Jake used to get into it because he's a big Birmingham fan yeah. and he's he's loyal to that. I didn't really grow up around a club. Chicago Fire might have been the closest thing, but I didn't have that connection. So for me, you know, I followed coaches, I followed styles. Um, I I was you know unapologetically really into La Liga for quite a while, but I love the Premier League right now. So for me, I'm always trying to figure out what are the latest trends. You know, who is winning in their respective leagues and, and levels and the World Cup as well. Um, and then what does that soccer look like and why does it look that way? So for me, again, you know, having brought, been brought up as well as an assistant, you know, there's some things I'm, I'm definitely bringing over with me from a coaching perspective to this team. Um, but also part of that, you know, the, the sales pitch as I was interviewing was that, you know, some of the changes that, uh, that I can do as well. So for me, I think that we've always valued the ball at Eastern. We've done a really good job of moving the ball and probably keeping it away from the opponent. But, you know, I have to replace right now a really record-setting back line through graduation and transfer. So there's a lot of, of I think we have eight or nine starters that are going to move on mm-hmm. so it's a brand new team which is a great chance to you know invent um some new ideas in terms of going forward um, i think that in addition to keeping the ball but can we can we do it more efficiently do we need all those players behind the ball can we sacrifice a few higher up the field so that we can still advance the ball keep it away from the opponent but can we have more numbers going to the attack because the other part of it is we haven't scored a lot of goals in a couple years so that for me is a big thing and there's a couple ways to do that and the other thing I, that i'd like to add in is well we felt last fall, looking back, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. but when our team would go forward on the counterattack, they were just naturally pretty good at it. And we wish we would have, you know, just looked at that and designed some sessions around that more. So even this spring already, we've been letting them go a little bit, taking the, um, taking the reins off them, so to speak, and just saying, go, and here's how you go. So it's like, you know, can we score goals? Can we create chances in different ways? Um, for me, that's an element I'm trying to add to the game, as well as teaching all the same things about how we defend. Um, still teaching how to keep the ball but can we do it maybe just a few different different words thrown in maybe different approach in certain ways so that again more attacking soccer you know where I'm probably different than maybe some of my colleagues is I'd rather win a game five to four than one zero and that's you know we can get in arguments and debates about that but that's just how I was brought up and you know I I love attacking soccer so hopefully um, that translates on the field this is going to go come across wrong but I think that's an, an American sports (laughs) <laughs> the, like yeah. thought process as opposed to sure. a, a European global be, yeah. one where they, they really like the 1-0 mm-hmm. game and they see all the other intricacies, whereas <laughs> Americans, they're, they're, they've grown up around football, basketball, yeah. those types of things, and they want to see offense. You know, it's, I was listening to, uh, not a not podcast, I think it was a, a video from uh, Gino Auriemma, a UConn women's basketball coach, very legendary guy, and he was describing a speech to his players where he talked about, hey, when you go to a concert, you know, um, you pay all that money, do they mess up the lyrics? Well, no, because they're pros, they practice it. And so there's a expectation to perform and entertain. And well, why else would they pay all this money to come see them? And obviously, UConn basketball, people pay yeah. a lot of money to go watch them. Might be a little bit different out here at Lakeside women's soccer, but the same thing. It's, you know, part of the sport, you know, you get lost in the competitiveness and winning to keep your job and all these things that are really, you know, they do exist. But we're out there to entertain too. It is a game. Um, we want to excite people. We want to make sure it's fun to watch and fun to play. So that's something that I just try not to forget. Um, but I'm a young, naive head coach, so we'll, yeah. we'll see how that affects me, right? Now, a little bit of that is interesting. And you guys went through this last year, set a school record, partly because of some rule changes. But the NCAA <laughs> decided that overtime was kind of a silly thing yeah. during the regular season. They really were – it ended up doing a lot of wear and tear on, on the young yeah, ladies' bodies and the young it guys' did. bodies on, on the men's side. Did it change 
do you feel like last year as an assistant and now moving forward as a head coach, mm-hmm. did it change the way maybe you approach the game? Like, right. or all of a sudden, if it's 0-0 in the 85th minute, is there desperation to score mm-hmm. in the last five minutes? Or let's see how the game's kind of gone, and maybe we're happy with that tie. Yeah, it's a good question. I, I wouldn't say it changed the way we approach games. Um, and we, we tie a lot of games last year, which is nuts. But, you know, in particular, last year, you know, everyone has their different opinion. We felt a lot of those games were very winnable games. You know, I've been a part of ties where you're lucky to tie and, and ones that you're like, gosh, how do we not win? We felt a lot of those were games we should have won. So for us, we were always pushing to the last minute. Um, in all those ties as well as every game. So I don't think we coach it any differently. Now, that said, you know, you get in the postseason and, and games that are on the line with points, if you are in those situations, they're, in soccer there is always a, a time where you have to think about, all right, do we need to buckle down and make sure we get these points yeah. um, for the tie because you get points for a tie in soccer. So I, I, don't, I wouldn't say we approached it any differently there. Uh, we didn't necessarily coach last five minutes, play for the tie type situations in practice. Mm-hmm. Um, we're here to win. I think the girls – would probably be a little disappointed if we took a different approach. So um, as far as I'm concerned, we're going to practice to win. Now I'm going to have you flash back just a little while because unlike other years, based on where it was hosted this year in Qatar, mm-hmm. World Cup is already done. Normally it would be this upcoming <laughs> right. summer and would be kind of I'd be getting your preview on it. Mm-hmm. Now that it's done, Team USA ha- had a, a good showing in that. Mm-hmm. Is there a, a team that – you kind of watched in there that you saw something that they did you're like hmm I haven't kind of seen that style before or that that kind of yeah piqued my interest a little bit that that would be something I might want to try to do if I'm ever a head coach yeah no it, it was great I, I think you know in the men's world cup we have the ladies world cup coming out this yep. summer too which we're excited about but um, in the men's world cup watching team USA there's a lot of bright spots there's a lot of youth in that team that I think is going to carry over to when we host in 2026 um, so they're a team I paid a lot of attention to but beyond that you know, there's. I've always been a Messi fan, so I was halfway rooting for them at the beginning, and they came in with, uh, I think, 36 matches unbeaten before they lost the first match to Saudi Arabia and picked it up and won. So I was interested in watching them as well, but from there I was just sort of ju- jumping around and watching who's playing good soccer. Because of the way it turned out, Argentina went all the way and won it. And so for them, uh, or for me rather, that was a team I paid a lot of attention to. And they won games in different ways. Obviously they had that talisman in, in Leo Messi, the best player in the world probably of all time. But the way they approached games, you know, they would change they change formations several times through the tournament, sometimes mid-match. They rotated players, um, young guys and old guys. So they had a team that, and this is with the all-tournament play, teams have to evolve and adapt. Teams that stay the same rarely get all the way through um, because you get challenged. Very rarely you're that dominant you don't get challenged once. Yep. That was a team that got challenged, lost their first game, were backs against the wall, came out and dominated Mexico um, and got the result they wanted, and then just grew and changed systems. And, and But I think that through the entire thing, the, the way that they pressed the ball, the way they defended, um, in addition to, again, scoring goals in multiple ways. They could go on the counterattack, as they did in the final against France, which probably the best World Cup final I've ever seen in my entire life. It was so much fun to watch. But they can also possess the ball and then defend with a lot of intensity. So for that, for me, that was just such a well-rounded team that still had to earn it. And I'm currently watching those games back right now, trying to pick up on, on hints. Now, the reason I kind of asked that is you coach in the OVC. You've been in there mm-hmm. for a couple of years. The OVC had a, had a shift last year. Yep. They added three yep. new programs that was a brand-new scouting report for you mm-hmm. and also a couple new coaches at other programs that have been around – the league for a while when you go into recruiting and we'll start with recruiting and then kind of leads in into coaching 
the OBC is usually going to be a one bid league, which means you're going to get there by winning the tournament. Yep. Do you feel like you build a team and then coach the team based on what it takes to win the OVC, or you, or do you have a different philosophy? And I don't know if you you kind of understand what I'm getting at there. I it's do. like, I do. and I, and I equate it to basketball. Like, like if you're going to build a team to play in the Big Ten, mm-hmm. you're going to have a certain type of player and a certain style as opposed to if you're trying to play in the OVC. I think mm-hmm. my guess is there's there's some similarities, and do you then try to do? something different to differentiate from those other teams that are in the league? Yeah, it's, a, it's a good question, and I don't know if there's a, a right answer every year because you're always evolving what you need. Yeah. I do know some coaches that have moved conferences outside the OVC, gone from maybe a, a smaller one to a larger or more competitive one, and they've changed their recruiting. Oftentimes when you go up a level, it's athleticism that you're looking to bring in first, and I get that. For me right now, I think I'm recruiting more to how I just want to coach the team, um, which isn't so so different than how we, we've coached it, but bringing in players that fit, you know, Right now, looking to bring in uh, center defenders because we lost a couple of those. Well, I can look for six foot tall and just you know big monsters, and that's great. You know, they're they're useful in a certain way. But what I ask them to do on the ball may not be something that they're comfortable doing. So for me, I'm looking to sort of the role that I envision for that position, um, as well as all the intangible stuff. Right, good student, good kid, good teammate. Number one. Um, so for me, I'm, I'm coaching and recruiting that kind of that kind of way. At the same time, you're always thinking about, okay, well, can they defend against the top scorer for UT Martin, or you know, can they attack um, a team that sits back and defends like so and so? So for me, there's always that in the back of my mind, and, and you keep an eye on those other commits around the conference, and you try to weigh. And you know, I think the good thing is I'm seeing a lot of a lot of girls that I'm recruiting that other schools recruiting too, and we're battling for them, which means all right, we got our eye on the same similar profile of player. Um, which means that you know I'm not crazy, but uh, yeah, it's it's a battle. There's a lot of good coaches out there with a lot more experience than me, and, and they know the OVC or they know college soccer, and you know, trying to convince them that uh, this is it, even though I've, I've been around, but this is a new program with a fresh start, and this is uh, an exciting place to be. And we'll kind of come full circle and wrap it up for you. We had, talked at the, the start about you're from the area, you kind of grew up playing soccer in the area. I guess for you, favorite soccer memory that you kind of have Ooh. have. have had as a player mm-hmm. and then we'll have one if you have one as a coach so far hopefully the still the best one is, is is yet to come for you in terms of a memory as a head coach that's right yeah <laughs> all, all the best in front of us man that's a tough one rich i've been i've been around the game a long time it feels like you know for me if there's one memory um i might even go all the way back to to youth in high school getting to the state tournament with charleston we were small town school so getting that far um did it a couple times while i was there which was really fortunate but getting to play on the big stage in front of college coaches against teams that were private schools or big that was just special um for a lot of reasons and, and very special because of the you grew up playing with your your best friends in small town club and then to go and do the same thing in a larger stage against college commits and all that but i mean i also grew up you know child of a single mom so I, my time bonding with her was in the car going to soccer games and tournaments just hours and hours across the midwest so too many of those memories that count, but man, those are those are special too. Um, as a coach, uh, specifically at Eastern, I, I guess as well, that's tough. I think that the first, you know, I, I definitely remember um, I was actually when I was volunteering for the men's side. We hadn't been to the postseason yet. Um, I think under Kiki it was our second year, maybe the team hadn't been to the postseason in years. Um, I actually couldn't be there for the final deciding game. Uh, I was driving down to Houston to go get my U.S. Uh, soccer C license, paying for it myself and driving down to Houston, sleeping in my car, all that stuff. But I, we had uh, played a game against IUPUI, who was at the time still in the Summit League on the men's side, which we were in. And I was on the phone with uh, Ashley Ross, who was a GA, and he had Jake and Kiki, and we had lost the game. But, you know, oh, we're in on this 
fourth or fifth tiebreaker. Oh, no, we're not. And then it was back and forth. And I was just on the phone for like an hour, so stressed out about a game I couldn't <laughs> even watch. And we finally found out it was like the sixth tiebreaker. We got in and just the – I mean, I, I wasn't there at the team, but the jubilation I felt, I knew that they felt because just the amount of work that had to go in to get them there. At that point, I think we were volunteering or – sorry, we were coaching both the women and the men as well for a time. And so just those long days, those grinds, those – hard conversations it all just feels like it's worth it when you achieve a goal like that so for me that's something i'll never forget well good well once again congratulations dirk look forward to, to seeing you out there and best of luck this upcoming season thank you very much appreciate it